Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. Today's recording comes from Doug Duncan and Catherine Pawasarat's Facebook live stream series, Enlighten Up. In this public talk, Doug and Catherine introduce the paramis, six aspects of consciousness that have been taught in the Buddha Dharma for more than 2,000 years and allow practitioners to become their own inner and outer works of art. They are qualities that we can grow to feel internally grounded and to act from a positive, wholesome place in our relationships with others. To download a free Paramis reference sheet and to access more resources on this topic, visit planetdharma.com slash Paramis. And now here's today's recording. Well, our teacher, Namjul Rinpoche said, it's better to be a work of art than to make a work of art. While we love art, a work of art is a creative process, right? Links intuition with skill and imagination. Making a work of art is great. I worked with a spiritual organization in Japan, basically a Japanese shamanistic organization, and they said that the way that humans connect with the divine is through art. That that's our pathway between those two realms. And that's always really resonated for me. Art's a visible product that uses paint or music or movement. Art's something that you see outside in, in, in a form. Becoming a work of art is the same process inside, internally, but you don't see it. It's not, at least not directly. It's only reflected by some feeling you have about being around that person. So maybe Mother Teresa or St. Francis or the Dalai Lama or or just Joe, your carpenter down on the corner. He may be perfecting that work of art inside. So they share the same properties, the same skill and imagination and intuition that you go to create a work of art externally. You also use those same powers, those same principles to create a work inside, to create yourself as a piece of artwork. Produces the same kind of inspiration and attraction, feeling of maybe empowerment. Mm. So you hope that an external piece of work is beautiful, that it's inspiring, that it enriches your environment. Hopefully not everything is dystopian anymore, but uh, we certainly have a lot of dystopian art, don't we? Like, but uh, hopefully also on the inside, right, by creating yourself as a piece of art, a work of art, then you have the same feeling that you would for an external piece of art that you enjoy. Maybe you've looked around here before we came and you saw a piece of work of art you liked. Does anybody seen anything mm -hmm. they like? Yeah. yeah. Right? So if you think, what is it that I like about that piece of art? It's kind of balance, harmony, color, vibrancy. Well, hopefully that same feeling is what happens when you produce yourself as a work of art. You have that same feeling on the inside. So whereas an artist uses different media like paint or textiles or musical notes, to become a work of art, the key ingredient is some kind of mindfulness or awareness, which we like to say is mindfulness of being mindful. Sometimes we use the term attentive mindfulness or intentional mindfulness. I can be mindful that Alex has got her legs crossed, but I may not be mindful of the fact that I'm aware of her legs being crossed. Does that make sense? So where meditation separates from mindfulness is just there. Mindfulness is you're aware that Chris had a cowboy hat on, but Meditating on the fact that he has a cowboy hat on is it contextualizes it with all of what Chris is. It brings it into a higher resonance, a higher vibrational energy. So 
when you're around someone who is a work of art, there are four things that are probably happening for you. Or if you are in a state of being a work of art, there are four powers that you have that are very effective in terms of all of your life. And what powers would those be? Well, one is magnetizing. It's attractive. People are attracted to people in good states. It just feels good. It's also pacifying, not in a negative way, like pacify the masses with drugs. It's pacifying in the sense of creating a space of calm. I remember I was in the Bahamas waiting for my teacher to show up for a sailboat trip that never happened, but that's another story. And so my friends and I were basically went down to the local bar every night and shot pool and drank beer with the local Bahamians. And it was a rowdy place. I mean, there weren't any tourists. There were just us and the locals. And we're shooting pool and cigarettes and drinking and playing and having fun. Most of us in our 20s and late 20s and early 30s. And our teacher finally showed up and he didn't, we didn't know he had arrived yet, right? And he walked in the bar and he simply walked from the front door to the back end of the bar, sat down and ordered a Coke. And you, sh you should have seen the effect in this room, right? He, he didn't say hi to anybody particularly. He nodded to us because we knew him, but he didn't get involved. He just went and sat at the end of the bar and had a Coke and the entire bar straightened up. You think the cops had walked in, <laughs> but all these kind of beer except drinking. Except it felt good. Except it, it didn't felt good. feel like fear. Yeah. Everybody all of a sudden got a little bit straighter and a little bit more awake and a little bit calmer and a little bit, still had fun but that kind of pacification of the, of the disruptions in your being. So when you're around somebody... That peacefulness. That peacefulness. So mm -hmm. when you're around somebody who's in a good state, you automatically get pacified in a good sense, right? Just by being in their presence. And then the fourth is that any negativities are destroyed very easily. So it's destruction as a, as a positive force. So, for example, you, you were saying at dinner somebody had a kind of petty, gripey commentary. And you said, yeah, maybe not now. And it very instantly vanished. No defilements allowed. So you ever know when you're not, when you're not feeling so hot or you're not feeling so good, you get picky? You get a bit crabby, you get a bit picky, you get a bit negative? Probably nobody here is like that. That doesn't happen. I know that doesn't happen to any of you, but out there in the world with those other people. Some that, people. The power of the positive state is basically a kind of a bomb to the negatives, right? It tends to just wipe them up. So I remember once I was really angry at my teacher because I don't know, he hadn't Which almost my... never happens. No, it never happens. <laughs> because he had somehow interrupted my ego construct in some fashion, right? And he walked in the room and the whole thing just dissolved because he just looked at me and laughed, right? He just smiled and he says, yep, well, there you go. So why hold it? Can, can you think of a good reason to hold anger? One good reason. You've been done wrong, you've been hurt, yes. Anybody been done wrong um, or hurt? Ever? The only good reason I can think of is to write a really good blues yeah. song yeah. <laughs> about how I've been done wrong. My babe. Anyway, being of a work of art doesn't only do that, it also leads you into a state of absorption. So when an artist or a musician or whatever, a dancer, anybody in the field of art, of course it could apply to a craft too, right? It could be a carpenter or electrician. You could even do it as a chartered accountant or a lawyer. But you can, be in a, you can be in that state very easily. But what does it take to be a good artist? Passion. Passion. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Being in the moment. Being in the moment. Practice. practice. All those things are good, but you're not going to be a good artist if you don't practice. And what do you have to practice if you're an artist? Basics. Basics, you got you to do art. You got to practice. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. 
So becoming a work of art is no different. If you think you could go out and paint a Rembrandt or whatever, Modigliani or my favorite guy, the Russian, Kandinsky, thank you. You wanna be a Kandinsky or something, you gotta work it, you gotta work it. So becoming a work of art is no different. Now, how many people would like to be a work of art? I mean, on the inside, beautiful, da 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 da. And how many people think it should just happen like that? Just me? <laughs> don't, just me? But the reality of the matter is, you, can't, you gotta work it. And so that's what this class is about. How do you work it? How do you transform the average, ordinary, paint by numbers kind of mind state into kind of a creative work of art kind of mind state? So we started out with mindfulness as your first tool, right? Your first tool is mindful. You gotta be aware. But this mindfulness immediately brings you into a sense of connection. So that's the very first thing that you wanna look at when you think about mindfulness is do you feel connected? Do you feel like you're with what's going on? Now, if you're in an emotional state or if your mind is confused or there's trouble in your life, that's gonna be not there, right? You're gonna feel unconnected or disconnected. So we need to build the connection. So together with a feeling of a connection is a feeling of love. That's basically just a good feeling that doesn't need to be a love attached to a person or, or even an object, but it's just a, a great feeling of well-being. Also comes along with a sense of joy. This is one of my favorite things to do is to describe the nuances between the different positive feelings because it's something that we don't really give a lot of attention to. We can probably much more easily describe the nuances between different negative feelings like depressed or rejected or I can't think of any other bad feelings, no, but I know there are some. But we don't often think about the differences, the subtle differences between joy and love and well-being and bliss. And it's a pretty fun study, you can imagine. Yeah. That sense of connection brings us a sense of also being more tolerant. Because when you're more connected, when you feel connected, you feel more tolerant. That's right. It not, it's not that you're oblivious to people's problems or faults or difficulties, but you kind of have more empathy for them. You have a little bit more sympathy for what they are going through or how they maybe have got there. I, I think, too, it's a feeling of enrichment. We have kind of well-being to spare. So we feel like we can cut other people some slack. And it's also a form of sharing, right? Because no matter what you do, you're sharing. So the minute you show up, the minute you get out of your bedroom, you're starting to share, right? You're, you're sharing every minute of every day in some fashion, either quietly in your car or in your office place or in your place of work. You're sharing the state you're in. Now, you may not think about it because we tend to think we're isolated inside our states, that our states don't connect to other states, but there's something called mirror neuron. And mirror neurons allows me to empathize or sympathize or intuit what you're going through or what the state you're in, right? And this is how we know when someone's in a good state because our mirror neurons are going dingle, dingle, dingle. And when they're in a bad state, our mirror neurons are going ooda, 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 right? You can, can you hear them? Dingle, 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 ooda, 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 yeah. So the sharing is automatic. We are, as human beings, we're like bamboo or mushrooms or what's the other one? Aspens. Aspens. Our, Underneath our egos, our structures are connected to each other as a species, like those other plants. We're connected. So this is all part of mindfulness. So to become a work of art, we need to combine both the interior awareness, the meditation or meditative awareness, together with the action in the world. 
It really needs to be both. And then there's a kind of generator, right? They're reinforcing one another. So when we work on the interior qualities, we call it meditation. But when we're in the world, we call them paramis. This is a Sanskrit term, which we will talk about. You need a technology, a methodology, a, a ways of working these things in order to bring yourself into a state of work of art with other people. Because right? that's where most of us live most of the time, right? Is with other people. Uh, when we're alone, we're more in a meditative state. So you work on the meditative state to clear through your own particular illusions about having problems. How many people think they have problems? Yes, you don't. I'm sorry, you don't. Your conditioning has problems, your programming has problems, your family structure might have problems, your relationships might have problems, but you yourself do not have a problem. Because fundamentally, if you go looking for the thing that has a problem, you're not going to find it. What are you going to find? The problem. You won't find you to have that problem. So we're going to leave that aside. That's kind of the meditation cushion understanding. But on the other side of the equation is in the world, in the action world, we have these other technologies, these other tools that we call the paramis. So paramis is usually translated into English as the perfections or the virtues. And something that's really important to keep in mind with Buddhism in English is that most of these words were translated by very early Christian monasteries around the turn of the century, the 1900s. So the words are a little like, yeah, kind of, yeah, but not really. They are virtuous. We'll get into that. But it's very different from Judeo-Christian. Like you're not going to go to hell if you don't do it, right? And you're not going to be a bad person. But if you do do them, you will probably feel better. And the people around you will probably feel better. And they're called perfections, not in the sense of like getting a 10 out of 10 in your ice skating routine, but in terms of completing an understanding. So it's more like a perfection in the sense of a, an integrated or a holistic understanding. Everybody has a different smile, and each person's smile is perfect. It's not like you have the perfect smile. We think perfect, as Catherine was saying, well, the, oh, there's a perfect smile. But each person's smile is perfect in and of itself. That makes sense, right? So that when we talk about perfection, that's what we mean. We mean that your state is perfect. You're in a clear, relaxed, calm, blissful, happy state, and you're not carrying any problems or hurt or worry or shame or guilt or whatever you do that comes up with your life when you associate it with the external object. Or you don't feel bad about yourself because you did or did not accomplish or meet or whatever, because that's not in the picture at the moment. All that's in the picture at the moment is that you're in a calm, clear, relaxed, good state. So that's what we mean by perfect. Doesn't mean there isn't more to learn. Doesn't mean you're, that you're driving at 150 miles an hour on the, on the cowboy highway and getting stopped by the cops means the cops gonna get you go because you're perfect. No, no, they're gonna give you a ticket. So Unfortunately, they don't recognize the wonderful state when they write it out. So parami, the para and para is means beyond, and it's the same like in parapsychology. Beyond. And uh, me is the root for friendship, like amistad or ami. So it's beyond friendship, beyond that kindness or that connection again. So it's actually quite easy, in essence, to be in a state of perfection from the point of view of how we're talking about it. All you have to do is drop everything. And you should start with dropping all your hurts and all your identities and all your clingings, and all your attachments, and all your loves, and all your hates, and all your friends, and all your enemies, and all your ambitions, and all your goals, and all your directions. This 
This is a really natural state that we've all experienced, and basically we enter it in when we're relaxed. So if you think back through your life, you have these memories of these beautiful moments that were just kind of perfect. And that's what this state is. And that's our connection with what we call shunyata. A shunyata is the Sanskrit. In English, it's translated to emptiness, which again is a kind of a challenging translation because it's a good kind of emptiness. It's just spaciousness. It's not a emotional vacuity. But if you think of those times where you were maybe watching a sunset or uh, it happens a lot in nature, doesn't it? I think it, being in nature helps our ego take a break. Also with holding a baby, like maybe your first baby, your ego usually takes a break <laughs> and you just have this amazing feeling of, of space, which is connection and love are naturally present. So where do you have most of your epiphanies? Typically in nature, typically when you're alone, because you don't need your ego when you're in nature and you don't need your ego when you're alone. You only need your ego when you're involved with other people. So we can all or with take, babies and animals because they don't yeah. have egos either. And especially kitties. You ever check out the Facebook thing with cats? If we want to sell meditations, we just kind of hold a cat. Right? <laughs> we have 150 people show up. Uh, and the reason for that is because your ego is not present. So when it comes to your story, and when you're not in parami, when you're not in a good state, it's all about your story, isn't it? It's about what am I going to do? What should I do? What are my problems? I can't believe they said that. Yeah. But when you're in nature, there's no room. There's no need for all that. You can let it go. Now, maybe you can't let it go because you've had a bad day at work. But in general, since the nature has no ego, you don't need yours. So that's, again, we're back to meditation. Because in nature, you're almost immediately in a meditative environment. All you have to deal with is, is your babbling mind. So you, this idea of parami isn't really so much about the meditative side. It's about when you're with other people. When you're engaged with other people, how do you work this perfection? There are six perfections, and basically these are the qualities that we develop in order to be able to access this sense of spaciousness at will. You know, you want to be in that sense of spaciousness, but it's not happening, it's not happening, damn. And so how do we make it happen? Well, we develop these six qualities. So we're going to list them. We're going to list them. Dana, which means basically generosity. We're giving you the Sanskrit first, just so you know we didn't make it up last week. Uh, so Dana is generosity. I like the word supportiveness. How can I support you? How can I support myself? Is it supportive to be in a bad state? Does that support you? So you can be generous to yourself, right, by being in a good state. You can be supportive to someone else. That's a form of generosity. So there's that one. Well, these are great challenges because sometimes, you know, somebody's like really bugging me and really kind of getting on my back. How can I be generous in this situation? And it's kind of a challenge, you know. That, it can be kind of fun that way. The other thing we should mention about this is that these are not things that you just learn and then you're done. No. These are things you got to practice. And you got to practice them over and over and over again like musical scales. And they're also meant to be meditations in the sense that it's not like you got one take on generosity and you're done. Is it generous to tell people the truth all the time? Is it generous to lie to people all the time? Is it generous to tell people what they want to hear? Or is it more generous to tell them what will help them be more perfectly works of art? What's generosity? It's a complicated question. And if you get upset, by the way, you know you're not being generous. That's a hard one. 
I have a right to be upset by this, yeah? I mean, when you're upset, don't you figure you have the right to be upset? But are you being generous to yourself by being upset? And are you being generous to them for either their failings as being human or for their effort to help you along with something and you didn't like it? I mean, it's a complicated thing. This is why it's a work. It's this a is why you got to practice. And this is why it's a meditation. Okay, second one up. Second one is sila. Sila, sometimes translated as ethics. Again, it's tricky because we, we come loaded with these Judeo-Christian interpretations already. And ethics, it's not inaccurate, but it's different from what we normally think of as ethics. What it really translates to is coolness. So if you think of sila as being like unruffled, if your conscience is clear, somebody can be like, you did this, you did this, you did this. But if your conscience is clear, you, you take it in stride. So that's mm -hmm. like sila. And I like the word integrity for ethics. Integrity doesn't mean you're good. Integrity doesn't mean you're bad. Integrity means you're consistent with your behavior when you're in a good state and a bad state. If your behavior and your state is consistent, whether you're happy or sad, then your behavior probably has integrity. Anyway, mm. these are ways of looking. The next one up is... And Kisanti. we'll get into each one in a bit a more detail more. in a moment. Next one up is Kasanti, translated typically as patience. I used to think patience was just for slow people. <laughs> I really did think that. Patience is really about understanding that things have their own time yeah. and being able to accept that. You ever waited under an apple tree for the apple to ripen and just sit there waiting for the apple and tapping your foot going, what the... <laughs> like in a traffic jam, oh, yeah. you're just waiting for the cars to move. We'll move on to the fourth one. Wiria. Wiria. Is energy. Energy. Not the kind that comes from a coffee shop. Or a bull. Red Bull, is it? Or a Red Bull, right. Or a pill. The universe doesn't run out of energy. And so the human organism doesn't necessarily need to either. You ever come home from work and maybe you're doing a course, maybe, not, maybe you don't do this anymore because you're all now older, but maybe you came home from work and you needed to upgrade your credentials, so you tried to study like accounting 100 to get a promotion. You come home from work, a hard day. What do you think? Ready to study accounting after eight hours at work? And then your friend calls up and says, hey, you want to go to the bar and go dancing? Oh, yes. <coughs> what changes between those? It's like one you were too tired for, and now you're ready for it. So what's the flip upon which that switch works? Interest. So another word for energy is interested. When you're interested, you have energy. When you're not interested, you don't, and you can't manufacture it. So the number one principle of the teaching, once we get your attention, is find out what interests you and then sell it to you. We're giving you all the formulas, right? The Buddha did it all the time. The Buddha gave meditations according to people's interest. A farmer, he gave a meditation on a plowed field. You just meditate on your plowed field. And that guy became awakened just meditating on his plowed field. Something you're doing already, Something interested in already. The next parami is dhyana, which is meditation, is dhyana, also absorption. So when you get into a meditative state, doing something, might be playing music or dancing or might be at your computer. And this is why it's connected to interest, because it's really hard to get absorbed in something if you're not interested in it, if you don't have the energy for it, if you don't have the patience to let it find you, as it were, if you don't have the generosity to give yourself time and energy to do it. So this is another word for connectedness, 
feeling connected. We did that earlier with mindfulness. Do I feel connected with what I'm doing? Then you probably find you can be in great states of absorption. But if you're not, it's hard to do. And the last is, the last parami is prajna or wisdom. And that's basically, well, all of the previous five, if we have all the previous five, the result is wisdom. Right. Also speaks to connection between mind, body, and spirit. It's kind of an integrated wholeness, because when you're in a state of an integrated wholeness, you're kind of manifesting the right action at the right time, you know, right in quotation marks, right action at the right time for the right reasons with the right people. And then people go, oh, you're so wise. But it's not that you're wise like, you know, you studied some stupid book, you know, that like nobody ever else read, so you're wise. It's like you're connected with what you're doing and who you're with in a way that speaks to a wholeness, right? That's kind of what wisdom is in essence. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on Apple Podcasts to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. Today's episode was taken from an introductory public talk on the topic of the paramis. Doug and Catherine teach a long weekend retreat called Becoming a Work of Art at beautiful Clear Sky Center in the British Columbia Rockies. If you are looking to take a deeper dive into this material, this is a wonderful place to start. For more information, visit planetdharma.com paramis. And as always, you can learn more about Planet Dharma's offerings at planetdharma.com podcast. See you next time. And may all our efforts benefit all beings.